First readings from Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 7. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his, in his law, the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in the darkness. This is the word of the Lord. So the second reading is from Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery for which ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was now through the church, was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alistair and Joe, thank you so much for reading for us. And uh, do keep that second reading open, um, page 1174. I should also point out after my slip of the tongue earlier, uh, Callum and Thomas, I love you both. There's no, <laughs> there's no hierarchy at the 6.30. Why don't we pray? 
Our Father, we thank you for this um, this magnificent passage of Scripture, this letter uh, that Paul wrote to the Ephesians about the eternal purpose of God. Please, would you soften our hearts, help us to be attentive, and would you um, use my words uh, to your glory tonight? Amen. Amen. Well, a a few weeks ago, um, I was working at home uh, when there was a power cut, and uh, the the lights went out, uh, the the internet router went down, and uh, I couldn't use my computer. Uh, The culprit is on the, the next slide, I think, was a a problem with the the fuse board in my house. Now, I couldn't even make a cup of tea, which is pretty desperate, isn't it? There's nothing you can do while you're waiting for the power to come back on. I was helpless and frustrated. And I wonder, does, does our life as a church sometimes feel like that? Does it feel like a power cut? Has God switched off the power and left us to fend for ourselves? I was uh, talking just this week to a a Christian friend who lives up in Oxford. Uh, She grew up in a Hindu family, and uh, she had an incredible conversion experience as she met Jesus and put her trust in Jesus, that the power of God seems to be powerfully at work in her life. But now, uh, just a few years later, while she's suffering illness and bereavement, Uh, The church that she attends feels like it's under a lot of pressure. Has God switched off the power? Well, it was the same question for the Christians in Ephesus uh, to whom this letter was written. Uh, They'd had an amazing experience of God's power uh, when Paul brought the gospel to Ephesus. Uh, The book of Acts tells us what's happened. Let me just read a verse uh, from Acts chapter 19. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Well, imagine seeing that, the power of God in miracles. But then Paul left. He went on to other towns. And life for those new believers in Ephesus became more difficult. Their neighbours were suspicious of them because they'd stopped worshipping Artemis, the the local god. They were swimming against the the culture of their city. There was also confusion developing within their own church. When Paul comes again to Ephesus, he passes by in Acts chapter 20, he warns them that men from their own number, from their own church, are going to rise up and distort the truth of Jesus. A a hostile culture outside the church, a false teaching inside. Does that sound familiar? Well, even worse, their great leader, Paul, the one who'd done those miracles with handkerchiefs and aprons, well, he's now banged up in prison. It's mentioned there in verse 1 of our passage, isn't it? Chapter 3, verse 1, Paul, the prisoner. This great apostle who had performed miracles in front of them now looks decidedly weak. And today, our church leaders are also under pressure. In some countries, they are literally imprisoned, like Paul was. The church appears to be weak and irrelevant. Has God switched off the power? 
Well, as Paul writes this letter from his prison cell, um, his answer is a resounding, no, God has not switched off the power. We're just looking for it in the wrong places. Where do we see the power of God? Well, so far in the letter, we've seen it in a couple of places. If you've been here over the last few weeks, uh, first we saw it in the, in the salvation of individual Christians. Uh, chapter 2, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And then last week, uh, we saw the power of God uh, displayed in the church, in the, the makeup of the church. Both Jews and Gentiles, the, the non-Jewish people, invited together to, to, to know Jesus and to, to be the church. And we see the power of God building up that church into a holy temple, the place where God himself lives and where people can come and meet him. And, and we have a sense of that here tonight, don't we? People from many backgrounds uh, joined together by the gospel and the power of God. As we come to chapter 3, it seems as if Paul changes subject and starts talking about himself. Um, but in fact, it is, it is another demonstration of God's power, the power of God that worked in Paul's life and which continues to work today. So first, in, in verses 1 to 6, we see the mystery that God revealed to Paul, the mystery that God revealed to Paul. Uh, let's, uh, let's read from verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Now, by calling himself the prisoner of Christ at the beginning there, um, I think he's reminding us of his dramatic conversion on the road to, to Damascus. Um, Paul had been going around trying to kill Christians, but then Jesus appeared to him, and Paul was captured by God. He was imprisoned by Jesus for the gospel. And then he says, a mystery was made known to me by revelation. Well, what does Paul mean by mystery? In, in everyday speech, in English, I think we, we tend to think of mystery as something strange and, and hard to understand. The mystery of quantum physics, the mystery of the Bermuda Triangle. But in the Bible, a mystery simply means something that was hidden and is now revealed. Uh, so, for example, the, the mystery of my car keys. Uh, they were hidden down the back of the sofa, which caused some panic. Uh, but then I lifted up the cushion and they were revealed. Something hidden and now revealed. Well, in verse 2, uh, Paul describes this mystery that God has revealed to him. He calls it the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. 
And the word uh, translated administration here is, is the idea of looking after something, being a caretaker, um, being, being asked to administer uh, this grace. So Paul is being given a message about God's grace, which he needs to pass on to the Gentiles. In verse 4, he calls it the mystery of Christ. And so this, this message of grace that Paul was given is something about Jesus. Verse 5 says that the mystery wasn't made known in the past. It wasn't made known to previous generations. It was hidden until the Holy Spirit revealed it to Paul. And that's why in the first reading that Alistair read for us, uh, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament was talking very vaguely about how God, God's love would come to the Gentiles. Uh, he talked about a servant of the Lord who would be a light to the Gentiles and how the islands would put their hope in God. But for Isaiah, that was a mystery and it wasn't yet revealed. Well, what, what exactly is this mystery? You may be wondering. Paul, please tell us. Uh, he does in verse six. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Do you see how that, that word together comes three times in that verse? Heirs together, members together, sharers together. The mystery that God has revealed to Paul is that through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus and his death and his resurrection, the Gentiles are brought back together with Israel. Last week, we, we thought about this double separation which the Gentiles had. Uh, uh, they were separated from God because of their sin, uh, the rebellion in their hearts against God, which we all have in our hearts. But they were also separated from Israel, from the, the people of God, the people whom God had chosen to enter into a covenant with. And for centuries, Jews and Gentiles were separated. There was a, a wall of hostility between them. But now, if they put their trust in Jesus, they get to have the same inheritance. They get to be members of the same body, the church, and share together in the same promise of eternal life through Jesus. So where, where do we see God's power today? Well, it's here. It's in all kinds of people from all different backgrounds who are heirs together, members together, sharers together. But it doesn't stop there because in verses 7 to 9, uh, we see the mission that God gave to Paul. Let's look at, at verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Now, Paul is being very humble here, isn't he? Uh, he calls himself the least of God's people. And you might think, really? I mean, he, he wrote quite a lot of the New Testament. I guess it's because he knows that he used to be out there persecuting the church. 
He knows that he was only given this mission because of God's power in his life. And of course, it's the same for us, isn't it? Uh, If we are Christians, anything that we might achieve for God is because of his power, not our own. And Paul's mission um, has two parts to it. Uh, So first in verse 8, he's told that that he has to preach. He has to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Elon Musk is uh, one of the richest men in the world, but even his riches are finite. They can be counted. Um, According to Google yesterday, um, Elon Musk is worth $199 billion. That's, That's quite a lot, isn't it? But the riches of Christ, well, they are unsearchable. They cannot be explored. They are unfathomable. And Paul's job is to show the Gentiles how infinitely wonderful Jesus is. The second part of his mission is in verse 9. He's told to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. Paul has to shed light on how this new church with, with Jews and Gentiles is going to work how they're going to live well together. And Paul is going to say a lot more about that in the second half of the letter, which we'll come to in a few weeks' time. So where do we see the power of God? Well, we see it in the results of Paul's mission. People all over the world hearing the good news of Jesus and entering into these unsearchable riches of Christ for themselves, discovering the unfathomable Jesus by God's grace, we have, we have been privileged, haven't we, to see that happening at St. Mary's year after year as people bow the knee to Jesus and begin to follow him and discover how infinitely wonderful he is. Well, God revealed a mystery. He gave Paul a mission. And that brings us to our, our third demonstration of God's power. It's the message that the church declares. Now, folks, get ready because... This next bit is truly mind-bending. I I was astonished when I uh, started thinking about this. Let's read from verse 10. His intent, God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you ever think that that's what you were doing as you came to St. Mary's, as you, as you met with other Christians in, in growth groups or, or um, in other groups? That you were making known the manifold wisdom of God to the heavenly realms. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Manifold is a, is a strange word. Um, I don't tend to use that very much. Um, it sounds like it might have something to do with a car engine, maybe. Um, I'm afraid the, the manifold is broken, sir. That's 300 pounds. But actually, it just means many-fold, many-fold, something that has many parts to it. And the wisdom of God is like that. The wisdom of God has many, many parts. And perhaps it's like this multicolored carpet um, or, or the different facets of a diamond. And just like the riches of Christ... Um, It would be impossible to ever describe the whole of the wisdom of God. Um, I could preach a million sermons and we would never get there. But amazingly, 
the manifold wisdom of God is reflected here in the manifold nature of the church, that the multinational, multicultural church that we are part of. And God's plan, extraordinarily, is that through this, through this uh, manifold church, his own manifold wisdom is made known to the heavens, uh, to angels, to spiritual beings who are looking down on our world, and they get to see God's wisdom from us. That's amazing, isn't it? From what we're doing here tonight, gathering to worship Jesus, the angels uh, get to see something about God. They see, verse 11, the eternal purpose of God, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. They are astonished to see sinful and and, and rebellious human beings like you and me, who through faith in Jesus are able to approach God with freedom and confidence, verse 12. I remember as a little boy um, being given this. It's a a little souvenir model of the Eiffel Tower. And um, I knew even at that young age that the the real Eiffel Tower was probably a bit bigger than this one. And I, I put it up on my bedroom shelf And I imagined that maybe the real Eiffel Tower was as big as the swings in the park. Or maybe it was as big as the tree in my back garden. But then, a few years later, I went on a school trip to Paris, and there it was. It was enormous. If you've ever been there, you can just about see the little people at the bottom there. The real thing is vast. And I think it's a similar thing with our understanding of the church. We tend to think of the church like this. It's a a small thing, a weak and a powerless institution that's dwindling in size, that's under pressure uh, from the outside and, and tearing itself apart from within. But the reality here in Ephesians chapter 3 is that the church is part of God's eternal purpose. God, in his mighty power, captured the Apostle Paul, revealed that mystery to him about the church, gave him a mission to the nations. And here we are, a church with members around the world and down the centuries. There is a universal church of true believers, those who have bowed the knee to Jesus, who are impossible to count. They are uncountable. And this many-fold, multicultural church speaks a message to the angels in heaven, a message of God's eternal purpose, that we, sinful men and women, can approach God in confidence. So let's not be discouraged. That's Paul's message at the end of our passage, isn't it? Uh, look, Look at verse 13. He says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged, because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Do you see how this works? All of the sufferings of Paul's ministry as he traipsed around the Mediterranean on on three journeys and was arrested and had, uh, had to face snake bites and all kinds of things. Well, that was all so that you and I could hear the gospel. Now, if the power of God has already done that, well, he's not going to give up now, is he? Do not be discouraged. 
Well, so much more could be said about this passage, uh, but let, let's spend the last few minutes thinking about three applications that we can take home, three concrete things from Ephesians chapter 3. First, let's take Paul seriously. Um, I think it's fair to say that there are mixed views, mixed reviews of the Apostle Paul, aren't there? Um, for some people, Paul is an absolute hero. Um, he's a man who was passionate about Jesus, who took great risks for the gospel, um, who wrote some of the most profound and inspiring words in the Bible. Uh, for others, Paul is a problem. He's a villain, even. Uh, people have accused Paul of being arrogant, uh, sexist, homophobic, um, even inventing a new kind of Christianity that Jesus didn't think of. But Ephesians chapter 3 shows us that Paul is not a hero and he's not a villain. He is simply proof of God's power working through him. Paul is part of God's eternal purpose to bring the gospel to the world. And so let's not dismiss what Paul says or try to, to put a wedge between Jesus and Paul. Uh, the words of Paul are complex. We need to, to think about them carefully and prayerfully. Uh, but we mustn't dismiss them. Secondly, let's take Jesus seriously. Jesus, I hope we've seen this tonight, Jesus is at the centre of God's purposes. He's at the centre of the, the mystery that he revealed to Paul. Uh, verse 11 talks about God's eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ, in Jesus. Um, it was Jesus who died so that our sin could be forgiven through faith in him. It's Jesus who's the cornerstone of the church. It's Jesus who captured Paul for us and gave him his mission. It is the unsearchable riches of Christ that Paul was told to preach. I think we get the point, don't we? So let's get our, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can bring us from death to life the only one who can reconcile us to God and to one another. The ultimate answer to every sorrow, every difficulty, every longing in our lives. Let me say, if you haven't yet uh, personally come to a, a faith in Jesus, uh, let me say, not only are you in danger, as we saw in chapter 2, and, and I say that with the, the greatest of humility, you're also missing out. Uh, you're missing out on being part of this cosmic plan, uh, this eternal purpose of God. Let me urge you, please take Jesus seriously. And finally, let's take church seriously, shall we? I think people tend, uh, in my experience um, and my own experience, uh, people tend to drift away from, from regular involvement in church either because they, they can't see the power of God in their life or because they see faith as a very individual thing. I, I was at that point a number of years ago. Um, faith is just between me and God, and that's all there is. Well, this passage helps to correct those temptations, doesn't it? If you're not seeing the power of God in your life at the moment, if life is a struggle, well, please just look around you. Brothers and sisters who've been brought together from death to life and brought together. God's power has 
created this church, this multicultural gathering, which declares God's wisdom to the angels, and which one day will culminate in glory. Paul says that, doesn't he? It's for our glory. The power of God is here. If you've been seeing your faith as a, as a personal thing, just a personal thing, well, I hope this passage has helped you to see that there is more to it than that. When we understand the true significance of the church, well, we'll start to make church gatherings a priority in our calendar. We'll begin to contribute more to, to gospel ministry uh, through our time and, and through our money that God has given us generously, sacrificially, joyfully from the heart. And even when we find we can't gather together, maybe uh, because we're ill or we need to travel for, for different reasons, well, even then we will still stay in touch with our brothers and sisters and be praying for one another. It, it's understanding the nature of the church that's going to help us to do that. So if you know and love the Lord Jesus, uh, but you've just slipped out of the habit of, of committing to church family, Please, please don't feel guilty. Please don't feel guilty. But just come back. Jesus loves us and he forgives us. But he does want us to be church together, to be loving and serving one another and declaring God's wisdom to the angels. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you that you have not switched off the power. Even when our lives and our church life feel difficult and under pressure, we thank you that we see your power in the way you captured Paul. You gave him uh, that mystery and mission. You, you helped him to show us the unsearchable riches of Christ that will culminate in glory when we will see your power face to face. And thank you that we see your power today in the church as people come in and put their trust in Jesus and join in the mission. And as we declare your multicolored wisdom to the angels. Please forgive us for being lukewarm, for being distracted. May we take Paul seriously, take Jesus seriously, and take our church life together seriously too. And we ask all this. In the immeasurable name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.